Welcome to episode 11 of Deep Natter. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris, and in this episode, Sean and I are talking about owning the things we make. And what I mean by that is that we stand behind our art and put our voice, our process, and ourselves first before we worry about packaging it, branding it, or marketing it to an audience. Here we go. Do you want to do a little housekeeping before we, we yeah, dive in? Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we are going to, uh, this, this is the second of the last live one of these that we're going to do. We're no longer going to do these on Clubhouse. We will still record. We will still release Deep Natter weekly for the foreseeable future. Uh, but I, th- I think the experiment of doing these live on Clubhouse will be over. I think a dozen is good. To, to figure out whether it's it's the right thing, and I think, speaking for myself, um, I, I think it might be better suited to just record them and release them rather than do them here. Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I think. I mean, it's 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 fun to hang out, but I think like I I, I haven't really gelled with Clubhouse like I thought. I mean, it, it does tend to be. Um, a lot of kind of like you said, I think you said earlier, like cryptocurrency and NFT talk and all that kind of stuff, or or, or, or dating groups or whatever. It's a, it, which is fine and it's great for that. But I, I don't I don't see a lot of rooms like this, and they often kind of they often sort of go off on on tangents. Then some weeks are great, and then some weeks are like a bit flat. Um, I mean, they're 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 fun to do, um, but I, I'm also seeing I don't know if you see the same that like the the numbers seem to be going down anyway. Um, yes. People aren't really engaging the same and they're sort of moving off to find other things. So, um, I mean, yeah, the podcast is definitely where most people will always listen and have been listening anyway. Yeah. So, and, uh, and conversely, the numbers on, on the podcast are going up. Our listener yeah. numbers on, on the show as, as released, you know, sort of out into podcast land are going up. So if you, if you do enjoy these and you do want to keep enjoying them, please do subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Uh, yeah. just Jeff look for Jeffrey Sidoris everything. everything. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and I think it's just a better thing to do rather than sort of, uh, stay here on a, on a, I think, um, slowly dying platform where people are bailing because it just seems to be a lot of, a lot of chatter and a lot of rooms. I mean, the, the, the thing about social media, it only really works if you're in the spaces people are hanging out already. And I just right. don't, I don't think people are hanging out in clubhouse like they were six months ago. And so... I, yeah, personally, I'm not. I'm not sure there's a massive point in, in 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 keeping it going here. But again, like we're really enjoying the conversations, so we're going to keep that going. And it seems from your comments and messages every now and again that there's a lot of you enjoying the podcast. So we'll definitely keep that ticking over. It's just uh, the sort of live component on Clubhouse. Yeah. And I don't know if it's partially a result of so many other, you know, Spotify's got. Uh, the locker room and, and uh, discord has theirs and, you know, Facebook has theirs. It's either coming out or it's already out. I don't even really know, but I don't know if it's just, yeah, Twitter spaces. Sure. So I don't know if it's just a matter of dilution where people are trying Mm -hmm. to find where they and their friends are most. I don't know. Um, But I think you're right. I think the, the, the quantity of, uh, people that are on and, and just the type of the conversations, at least the conversations that I want to have, I'm finding are 
getting fewer and fewer and there weren't that many of them to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I would rather just, you know, continue to reach out to people and record. And, you know, if you have ideas, speaking for myself, if you have ideas uh, of people you'd like to hear me record something with and, and have a connection to that person uh, and can put me in touch with them, reach out. I, I would love to, to see where that goes. Um, you know, and, and like Sean said, certainly we'll keep doing these because we both love doing these and, um, the response to them has been terrific. So I think the, the, the clubhouse component is just the weakest link for, for this from where I sit. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. And as, as is often the case, we were, we were talking, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? And we started down a path and went, wait, 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 save it, save it, save it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we- yeah exactly. Stop talking. Just <laughs> <laughs> giving it away. Yeah. So, and that happens, that happens a lot. So I think one of the other sort of ancillary benefits is that one or the other of us can, if we're doing you know, just sort of recording for the show and not, not doing it for clubhouse, we can just hit record when one of these conversations comes up. And, and even if it's only a piece of an episode that we cut into something later, I, I think, I actually think the quality of the conversations will go up because we're not, we're not having to save things for next Tuesday. We could record whenever and then cut together multiple conversations into one quote unquote episode. So I do think it'll be a good thing all, all around. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we could have just hit record this afternoon and bang. Yeah. Yeah. So that's there good, you go. Good stuff. And now, uh, as is often the case, I've completely forgotten where we were going to go and uh, what we we're going to talk about. Lucky I've got you. So we were talking <laughs> this afternoon about you and your uh, work and the realization that I think you're slowly having about the difference between making something and then packaging that something for an audience in a usable way ah right 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 was that where we were yeah i think that's that's part of it um and and it's funny because in and i don't know if maybe some of you listeners relate to this if you're if you're making different types of things for potentially different audiences is it and i'm going to start this as a question is it easier for you to reconcile what you make when you think about it in terms of audience? Uh, so for example, Sean and I were talking and, and it's, it's almost easier for me to make something. Well, it's not almost, it, it, it is easier for me to make something and not have to worry about whether or not it's going to be considered art, like the capital A art. And it's just something that I want to see, or I can see it as a piece of, design or decor or, or something that doesn't have to be so weighty. I tend to like that process more, or I can connect to that process more when I don't have to think about where it's going to end up. And I I don't know why that is. And it may not make sense because it it all kind of comes from the same place anyway, regardless of, of where these things end up. Um, but you had some thoughts on it and it, and we kind of started down this path of, of you asking, you know, why I thought it was that way. And you had some similar experiences as well. 
in terms of how, how you package some of the things that you do. Yeah, well, do you want, do you want to kind of lay out, because I think you're thinking differently about the work that you do recently and sort of recategorizing it for yourself at least. Um, do you want to share some of that? Yeah, I think, yeah, sure. Um, I think maybe the- it's just, shall I just, I mean, for those of you who don't know, like, and, and um, you might be new to this, it's really worth going and taking a look at Jeffrey's website and taking a look at what he does, which is, it's, it's a mixture of, of painting, collage, design on canvas, um, that kind of, um, I mean, and working around themes of uh, propaganda in some of the pieces and uh, just abstract sort of uh, form, geometry and shape in other pieces. Um, and, and it's kind of a, a collision of, of design and painting that in my mind is absolutely art. I know you struggle with that, but I, I mean, it's, if that's not art, I don't know what is. But I think you've recently um, sort of change your idea or been struggling or fighting with this idea is it painting is it design and you 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 started to think about it was gregory crudson's photography just to jog your memory that kind of got you thinking about some things you right. want to share some of that sure yeah i mean it's it, it, there are there are a couple different ways that i tend to look at my own work and i've i think the struggle with the art portion of it goes way back to to college and maybe even before when when my younger self, you know, sort of made the proclamation that if I wasn't going to hang in MoMA, what was the point? Because obviously there is no other point. No point at all. (laughs) Pack it Um, in now. Pack it in. So if you're not, if your stuff's not going to hang in MoMA or the Whitney or, you know, whatever. Anyway. It goes for all of you too. If you're not in MoMA, pack it in. Forget it. (laughs) Sell your stuff. You're done. Um, But one of the other things that I, that I am, am very passionate about is, is great design. And, and some of my, some of my, uh, my heroes are not just in, in the art space, but they're able to, to walk in that design space too. And, and it's graphic designers like David Carson, who I mentioned quite a bit because he's been kind of at the forefront of my thought process on this stuff for three decades. Um, Charles and Ray Eames, um, you know, uh, I am pay, uh, Corbusier. Uh, so there's architecture in there. There's furniture design, there's textile design, there's, uh, uh, you know, graphic design, there's motion graphics. Um, Kyle Cooper, who, uh, famously was, uh, the creator of a company called imaginary forces who did, uh, seven and twister and, you know, just these really revolutionary title designs that, that, was on the back of people like Saul Bass and Maurice Binder, who did all of the titles for the Bond films. Um, so my, my interests, and, and I forget about these things sometimes because, I, you know, when we make things, we, we tend to get, well, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to put words in everybody else's mouth. I tend to get myopic about what I think it should be. And in, in doing that, I tend to forget about what it could be. And that kind of throws me off because if it doesn't meet some arbitrary and often ridiculous plateau that I've set for myself and for the work, then I, I, I discount that work as meaningless or I discount, you know, the success of that work, whatever success means, um, rather than going, well, just because it doesn't fit here doesn't mean that it couldn't fit here, 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 and here. And I think there's been um, a shift and it's, it, it started 
with looking at at some of Crudson's work. It started with looking through my book collection because as I'm as I'm getting ready to move downstairs into the uh, slowly finished, you know, finishing studio, I'm going through the books that I want to keep and the ones that I want to get rid of. And I'm I'm reminded of how diverse my book collection is. And there are books about graphic design and title design and film and television and music and, you know, literature and art and sculpture. Like there's everything in there. So no wonder I'm, I'm pulled in all these different directions because all of this stuff is sort of filtering through me. And so it, it makes sense for me to, to think about what I make almost in terms of, of product lines. Where I can say, okay, these, these, these grid variations, and I need to come up with a different name for that, that, that is a little better in terms of description and, and maybe more compelling. But I can see those as the basis for, for example, sort of home decor items. Like uh, I've, I've found a place that does these, these beautifully printed linen pillowcases, and they do these beautifully printed silk, uh, Italian silk scarves that they print on. So I'm thinking about texture and color and shape, not narrative for those pieces. When my narrative hat is on, now I can think about art and I can think about prints and I can think about originals and I can think about galleries and I can think about, you know, group shows and solo shows and all that kind of thing. And it satisfies both sides of the creative impulses that I have. But I think more importantly, it answers the question, where does this go? Or what do I expect from this before I even start so I can manage those expectations and and not get derailed so easily? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, almost, correct me if I'm wrong. So what I'm hearing is it's almost what's helping you. And this helps me to think about it this way too, is is you're separating the making from the presentation. Trying to, yes. So you're, yes. On the one side, you're just trying to give yourself as much space as you can to create whatever needs to come out and not think too much about the audience or the format of its final form. Mm-hmm. So you are, you, are, you are painting on relatively small uh, square canvases usually, which might not necessarily be the best format for presentation, but it is the best format for you to create in because of the size of the ephemera you're using Correct. The, uh, to, to build those pieces. But now you're going, okay, as a second step almost, you're going, okay, how would this best live in the world? Because this small format might not uh, might not really work um on a big wall, for example, because it might get lost. You need to get close to it. So maybe if you do some kind of uh, print emulsion to have a bigger version, or you do some text, some clever things with textiles with this as a print, or this would look amazing as an LP cover um, on, a, on on vinyl or something. Like, I mean, I've said that to you about a couple of your pieces, yeah. how amazing they look as Thank vinyl, you, yeah. pieces, vinyl covers. Um, like, so you're almost separating... Yeah, the making from from the from the presenting that work to an audience and finding where it where it fits or serves an aesthetic purpose for a third party. That's actually that right? yes, and that's a, thank you for using the word serve because I think that I think that's really appropriate. Where does where does this serve either an audience or or how does how is this best served out in the world? What is the best way to connect to this thing out in the world? And one of the other things that I have sort of recently come to, to realize is it also means that I get to reconnect with other makers, whether that's from a a space of collaboration or whether that's from a space of simply wanting to signal boost what they're doing 
in some of these new avenues that I'm exploring. Um, one of them is a print project. I'm not going to say too much about it right now, but it's a print project that will launch, I hope, don't hold me to it. Actually, no, hold me to it uh, in January. So I'm already doing some of the back end work. Sean and I have talked about that. He's been really kind of instrumental in, in helping me wrap my head around it. And, and as you might imagine, super supportive of, of where it could go. Um, but that's also a chance. It's going to be so good, man. I'm, I'm so excited for that for you. Like keep an eye yeah. out for that. It's one of those, it's, it's, it's what it's, it's like, it's your version. Basically, I think about like of, of the collection books I put out every year or, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to take the work that you're already making and, and share it with an audience who can then support you as an artist, yeah. like in your own way, obviously, like don't, we won't say what it is, but like in your own way. And I think that's going to be amazing. And, and, and a broad like breadth of your work mm -hmm, as well, because mm -hmm. you're an amazing writer um, and a communicator as well as um, a graphic designer and an artist and a painter. And, and also, like you say, signal boosting other artists in that kind of thing. I think it's going to be really I, Thank you. I, I hope so. And I, I think it will. Um, and I think it helps to talk through this in a forum like this because I, I've, I've connected with and I've reconnected with um, makers who I'd kind of fallen out with over the course of the pandemic. And a lot of us are in this same boat of going, yeah, I love the making part. The making part I've got, I've kind of got down. I've kind of, I, I know what I'm doing there, but how do I package it, present it? How do I get it out? Who can, who can I, who can I get it in front of and how do I get it in front of them? And I think if we, if, and maybe it's almost forming like a little collective, you know, where, where, your your signal boosting and and sharing about the people who interest you and they are in turn sharing about the people that interest them and eventually it all comes back around eventually it it works itself yeah. back to you and it, it's that that rising tide lifts all boats kind of metaphor where if if yeah. i can put my my creative energy into making on on sort of a personal level but then i can put my audience, my, my, my reach uh, limited as it is into not just sharing what I do, but celebrating the people that I find interesting. It's kind of the same thing I'm doing with, with process driven. It'll just be more consistent and yeah. it will be, um, a, a visual rather than, than an audio type of a, of an end product. And I think, I mean, there is study after study about taking an interest in other people and, and putting your energy into someone else before yourself. Yes, you have, to, you have to fill your own cup, but filling that other person's cup is just better for everyone, I think. Yep. Isn't there some, like, it didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that have been a sermon for you at some point? Like, wouldn't, doesn't that ring true somehow beyond just, you know, the boundaries of my own head? Yeah, man. I mean, I, don't, don't get me started. I could turn anything into a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, I, I will course, say yeah. you are, you are one of, you're, you're a ninja at this. You are one of the best off the cuff sort of no prep, just go into that mode speakers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that's very kind yeah lots of practice that was that was when you hadn't done enough prep for your sermon on sunday you could just wing it that's where that comes from a decade of winging sermons just start talking and then just get more and more passionate until you work out what you're saying and you'll fool them with the passion for a bit and then you work it out halfway right, through right 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 so uh... so i mean you you know talk, yeah. you you've experienced some of this and you you've been kind of at least in part some of my blueprint for this and in, in the way that you think about 
where you share your work, how often you share your work, and how you package and present your work. It's been hugely inspirational. I just needed to figure out a way that it worked for me. And I think, you know, ho- yeah. hopefully if, if you're if you're out there listening to this show, this gives you some things to think about with regard to the work that you produce and how you get it out there into the world or and and why you get it out there into the world. I mean, this is something that that 2020 and 2021 has been such a big game changer for me. And that is, uh, you know, Adrian introducing me to this concept behind Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. What is your why? Start there mm-hmm. and, and work out from that. Because if you don't know why you're doing anything, it's not going to meet whatever either real or, or imagined or arbitrary expectations you have for it. You have to be clear about that. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of that. Yeah, I mean, I've, always, I've always kind of struggled with that as well. And I think I've, at different times in my journey, I've gone backwards and forwards between um, feeling like I'm, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but feeling like you're almost compromising what you're making if you're making it for an audience, because are you pandering or are you tailoring it to them and not saying what you want, which is why I really like the idea of just make what you want in the bubble first without mm-hmm. that in mind. And then work out how to package it second, because then you know you're not compromising at step one. Um, it's, I, I had the experience with the book, you know. I, I was I was told or politely advised or whatever you want to call it to like tailor the book slightly because because it would be more sellable. And like, wouldn't it be great if you if you did the the meaning in the making journal with bullet points? No, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good. It would be uh, terrible. Um, or, or just change the cover because people need to pick it up at bookshops and all the rest of it. And I, I do understand that. And of course, you know, if, if, if you're talking to people who are trying to help you sell a book or, or publish a book or design a book, I, I completely understand they're just doing their job. But I think as the person making it at some point, you have to ask yourself the question if, cause there is a tipping point where it stops being the thing you want to make and starts just being an item to sell mm-hmm. to an audience and it gets mm-hmm. away from you. And I, I, I kind of stood my ground on, on a lot of things and it, it really is the book I wanted to put out and I'm, I'm whatever it does. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm under no illusions that the book that I've written will probably sell less widely than it would have done if I'd done some of the things that I was advised to do. I, I, I know that I know what I've sacrificed. Um, but I also am convinced that this is the book the world needs and that I can mm-hmm. give and whether they read it or not is kind of not my job. And if, and if I change it too much, then it wouldn't be the book the world needed. As far as I'm concerned, it would just be, it would just be a book that people would buy and becomes a cynical, make some money exercise. Which is so not you. Well, it's, it's not any artist really. I don't think it, it, it is busy. And I know a lot of people go into art for business reasons, but any real artist who loves the making part, it's none of mm. us, is it? That's, that's why that second part has to come second. Like what format does this need to take? It starts with that, you know, that page in my journal jotting down, I want to cover these topics. I want to tell these stories um, in this book. I, I remember these things that happened to me and how this helped and I want this to help other people. That's the important stuff. Then you start putting it together and going, oh, I want to tell the story this way. I want to talk about this, this concept this way. And people going, oh, you know, that'll lose some people. I'm like, I'm all right with that, man, because this is really what I right. want to say, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think there's too much. And we all know, like cynically speaking, there are too many people, especially in our social media age, where people become photographers to get Instagram followers, to get people 
and companies to start running ads on their profile. It's a marketing exercise for them. And the creativity came second. It's just a means to an end and their business people first. But I mean, most of us, I think, who love the making part, we have to guard the thing that we make first and then package it second. Yeah. And almost split that out. It definitely helps me yeah, to do it. I think way. you're right. How, if we go back a little ways when you were photographing product, you've, you've, you've spoken a bit about that. There's, there's some of it in the book. How much of that influenced where you are now in terms of really not compromising on what you want to see in the world and, and having the ability, I mean, look, we, we have spoken many times about how grateful we are to be in the positions that we are, that we can just make things that, that interest us and that, that, you know, explore our curiosity, et cetera. How much of, of having to shoot things and seeing sort of how that was packaged and presented, how did that affect where you are now? Can you see a definite connection or was it, was it more ancillary? Um, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I never minded, um, shooting products at all and you know i might have to go back there one day who knows what happens with the stuff i'm doing now it might not last and i just had to think about it differently because i couldn't think about that like creativity there were some creative elements to it but by and large it was a photography production line which had to be hammered out the same way every time production was i mean creativity was was left at home right but that's why i kind of split it out in my head and i was very grateful and and will always be grateful to be able to make money with a camera in hand even if it's working for shitty clients, because mm. that's still that's still a privilege to be able to do that. Sure. But I become more of a, a tradesman then. I'm, I'm, I've got a skill set and a tool, and they have a very specific set of needs, and they're going to dictate how they want it done because they're paying for it, and I have to do it that way. I can make suggestions, but at the end of the day, I have to do what they want, even if they want it badly. And let me tell you, they usually do want it done quickly and badly. So... So that's not necessarily creatively fulfilling, but that's not where I'm an artist then. I, I'm, I'm somebody who makes things that I'm proud of in my spare time if I'm working, doing shooting products in a studio and having to get through 50 sofas in a day on a, on a white background. Then my creativity happens on the weekends or, or some other time with my camera. Otherwise, and I've really felt this at a point, that I won't like my camera anymore. I won't like photography anymore because it's turned from being creativity to just being uh, a job, which I was mm-hmm. grateful for, but doesn't scratch that creative itch. In which case, like, like, I mean, I could have been doing anything. I could have been waiting tables still, or I could have been, you know, working in a bank and then I'd still be doing photography on the weekends. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the job. It just has to be there and scratch that creative itch. And I would have made space for that no matter what. Um, yeah, I mean, it it does it doesn't matter. It, it's just wherever wherever you do the thing that you want to do, and I, like we are both in a very lucky position that we get to do that with our with our with our nine to five days, and we we found a way to support ourselves doing those things. That's that's very lucky, and it took me a long time to get there. Um, but yeah, if if it wasn't that way, I'd be doing it in spare time. But when I do work for myself, it's it's done because I think it's the right thing to do kind of whether an audience gets it or not. And it's not that the audience isn't in my mind or I don't care about them. It's just that I'll never let that dictate what should be said or how it should be said, because then I'm trying to please the crowd and that becomes a real mess the minute you do that. I think your audience has, has respected that from the beginning. I mean, there are a few standouts that we've, we've talked about here and there, but by and large, it seems to be 
okay that you think about the making and aren't and aren't putting them necessarily first. Yeah, but it costs, doesn't it? I mean, this and this is something everyone needs to think about. You know, is and and you need to think about, and I mm-hmm. need to think about regularly. Is is if you do that, there there is a cost to it. So I, I'm seeing that the growth on my YouTube channel grind to a halt. It's not really growing much anymore right. because maybe I've found the people who 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 care about what I'm doing and the way that I'm doing it, and the rest of the world goes well. That's that's he's a pretentious twat. You know, you don't know. Like that's, it's not. It's not. It's like oh, I'd much rather only, watch only a few Peter of them McKinnon. say that. <laughs> yeah, true, but, but they say it loud, um, or it sounds loud. Um, <laughs> but I'd rather watch Peter McKinnon rip around a field on a four wheeler with a with a cannon because that's more entertaining. And I get that, and that's right. But 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 I, you know, and I'm not saying he's pandering to his audience. Maybe that's genuinely what he wants to do. But I could go well if I'm a businessman. Maybe I need to get a four wheeler because mm-hmm. and and a puppy because they do well on camera and uh and whatever else that that sort of sells on the internet because i'm i'm a businessman and i want to grow my audience and i want my audience first and feeding the audience first or i can or i can do what i'm doing and go i just don't care in fact i'm going to go the other way a little bit and do less of the tutorial stuff which i know does well and do talk about more of the things i care about knowing that that means less audience over time um but that smaller group who cares. And I, I think every artist at some point has to make that choice between, between creative integrity and marketing. And, um, which is why I think coming back to what you said at the start, it really helps to make first market second and split them. Mm-hmm. Um, because you won't, you won't compromise. I mean, if, if I said to you, or you, you said to yourself at the start, you're like, I'm going to make huge canvases for hotel lobbies. Uh, you you could you could hack that, you know. You you could you could go okay. What what works? Let me go around and look at some hotel lobbies, and these are the things that work. But but you you would never have used the ephemera that you do and worked out how to print larger and and play around with that sort of format. You would have just started painting something big, and you would have not done the thing that you only you can do with your color palette and the, and the and the ephemera that you're drawn to because you would have started big because that's how you're selling it, and you would have lost what makes your work special, I think. But because you started with, no, this is the stuff I'm drawn to this way, you can now reverse engineer and work out how to present it to the world second without having compromised on your vision for the first. Right, right, right. And I get the added benefit of figuring something out, of solving a problem, which I love doing. I love trying to, I mean, the, the, the whole first set of paintings that I did in 2008, after not painting for 20 years, were born out of trying to figure out how to build a process that was both digital and analog. Right. How, how can I, how can I fuse these two things? And I started, uh, I started, you know, reaching out to people like Dorothy Simpson Krauss and Bonnie Lakota and, and, and seeing what they were doing and trying to pull from it what I could to, to get where I wanted to go. You know, so I, I can say with, with a, pretty high degree of assurance on my own part that most of the, most of the artwork that I've made that I'm really, really jazzed about has come out of solving some sort of problem. And the stuff that I use, the elements that I use in it, yes, I'm drawn to that, that style or that, that type of, of imagery and those types of, of bits and pieces. But by and large, it comes out of trying to solve a, a, a problem, either a process problem or some sort of uh, creative problems. So when I, when I 
am talking through some of this stuff and I've talked to you about it and uh, Richard's been super helpful in, in helping me figure out some of this stuff. It's another sort of plateau in terms of, of what I'm going to produce because it's starting not with, oh, if I make this bigger, I can, I can charge more money for it and I can sell it in gallery that like that's, that's yeah. maybe in there somewhere. But first it's, it's the excitement of trying to put together these new things to make something that I haven't seen before. That's what's most exciting. Yes, yes absolutely. It's, it's almost like, um, because I'm, I'm, you know, trying to get this, uh, this documentary photography project I'm doing off the ground and it, it's, you know, the early stages are planning it. Like mm -hmm. what I want to say, what's, what, what, what do I want to try and communicate with this? What are the questions that I have? What's the aesthetic that I want? Um, create some mood boards, um, choose, choose focal lengths and lighting that I might like to use because those are the, they, they just feel right. They resonate. They, they all sort of tell the story that I want to see. And I feel like then it's a case of collecting, collecting a ton of stuff over a year or two, lots of photographs and starting to look through them. And then only then after I've done a lot of that work, do I start going, okay, how do I show the rest of the world this? And that could be any number of things. It could be uh, a book. It could be an exhibition. It could be both. It could be a, a little documentary film, but I can't decide that on the front end. Mm -hmm. I have to do the work first. Mm-hmm. And then I have to do the, the working out how to present it to the world. Because if I start now and go, well, this is definitely a book. I thought about it the other day. I thought, well, the kind of book that I want, I would like this to look like. And I started going down that road of designing the book in my head before I'd done the work. <laughs> Welcome and to I my world. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I was going to say, you've never done this. <laughs> like, <laughs> putting the logo together, you know, right. um, branding it. Like I, I started to realize, and then I went, oh, actually with that kind of book, if I do them all four by five portrait orientation, that'll be great. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? You've just decided how you're going to frame every single shot for an entire project based on an end-of-the-line design that might change. You'd hamstring yourself on day one. Yeah, and you'd be stuck with whatever you get. Exactly. Instead of going into those spaces and going, no, 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 I'm going to take whatever photograph feels the best photograph to take in that space and worry about those problems on the back end, how I'm going to present them to the world. But right now I have to just make it the way it feels right to make it. Um, and I, that, that was a big lesson. I, yeah. I can feel myself getting caught up in the wrong end of the project and putting the cart before the horse. Well, and, and when you get there, at least this, this is kind of the way it's happening for me and I'm still going through it. But when you get there, you have that moment or I have had that moment where I go, well, this makes total sense. Why is it taking me so long to get here? This is so much more productive and, and feels so much more joyful than beating my head yeah. against the wall the way I've been approaching it or trying to approach it. And, and doing the same thing over and over and over again, getting the same results over and over again and wondering why the results aren't different. Yeah. I mean, the other thing we spoke about earlier was, was how, um, trying to too neatly categorize what you do can hamstring you as well. Sure. Yeah. So I think, I think you've always had a battle with what you call what you do. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Is mm -hmm. that fair? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think from what you said earlier, let me not talk for you. How do you, how do you feel about it now? Like how, where are you kind of landing on things? I don't know that I have to name it is, is That's the honest truth of it. I don't know that I have to say it's this or it's that because for some people that's not going to matter. It's not going to be true for them anyway. No. I mean, if, if I, if I go back to a conversation that, that you had with someone about your own street photography, who insisted to you to your face that it wasn't street photography. 
(laughs) Well, you know, if, if you're of the mindset to go, okay, well then I'm not a street photographer, you know, that's, that's one thing, but it just, I think what it, what it did for me in thinking about that conversation and, and applying it to myself is it just shows that it reinforces rather, it doesn't show, but it reinforces that you can't control the audience reaction. So on, on a very real level, why even consider it? Why not just make the things the way you want to make them, put them out into the world the way you want to put them out into the world and, and let the chips fall where they may, because none of us, I'm assuming, I'm going to make a big assumption that none of us in this room have unlimited funds and unlimited, you know, resources to promote the things that, that, that we make. So why not just be happy with what you make and put it out there to the best of your ability and see what happens? you know, and make some realizations. Like I, I know with regard to, let's say podcasting, I'm never going to be Rogan. I'm never going to be Marin. I'm never going to be, uh, you know, Michael Rappaport who I listen to. <laughs> please be, Ma- please be Michael oh Rappaport. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you know, Michael Rappaport is really good in yeah. like two minute bursts, but yeah, man, yeah, yeah. a 38 minute show. Then you need hard to listen to. Then you need a lie down. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. Hard to listen to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's, he kills yeah. He's so but I mean, you know, you, you, uh, we compare ourselves to, to these people who, who have a completely different set of circumstances and a completely different set of options available to them that they bring to the table. And it's unhealthy. Yeah. You know, I have lamented for years, I'm never going to be this. I'm never going to be that. I'm never going to be the other. Well, guess what? None of those people care. No. I'm just left with, with asking or, or answering questions from, from, you know, people who email or write in and say, well, when are you going to do more of this? And how come you haven't done this? And I don't really have an answer. Uh, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Because I'm not Mark Marin, you know, because I'm not Willem de Kooning, you know, I mean, that's a ridiculous <laughs> response. So be happy with the stuff that you made. That, yeah, right. about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my new character. Do you like it? Um, yeah. You know, how do you spell, yeah. by the way? On <laughs> so it, I, I think that, that, you know, and, and we started to talk about this earlier, that, that getting to a point where I'm just going to make and I'll deal with, with, you know, where it lands and how it lands after the making, or at least, or at least not try to, um, not try to confuse the two, you know, and if, in fact, you may have turned me on to this. Uh, it was from a book that you read and I can't remember what it is though, but it was, it was never write and edit in the same session. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. It was a, it was a writing class I did with an author, uh, Rob, Rob Bell, Bell. That's right. From, that's right. Voice from LA. Um, and yeah. I love that. Never write and edit at the same time. If you're going to sit down and write, write, don't worry about spelling. Yes. Don't worry about grammar. Just get the ideas out on the page. And ever since I learned that from you, uh, I think my writing has gotten maybe not better, but the process of, of, of writing has gotten better for me because if you are writing and you get stuck, uh, you know, in fact, there's a terrific little clip uh, again that you turned me on to of John Mayer talking about typewriters and, and writing and editing. Because John, John, he's in this documentary called California Typewriter, along with a bunch of other people, Tom Hanks and, and a bunch of other people. And he was talking about, you know, getting himself this, this typewriter and, and how the typewriter 
there's no little red squiggly line under, you know, misspelled words. So if you misspell, I don't remember the word that he used as an example, but if you misspell, you know, bread, whatever, you don't have to get reminded by the little red squiggly line and then stop the flow to fix the word and then try and get back to what you were just in this flow state. None of that matters. Mm. You just, and he showed some of the, uh, some of the lyrics from queen of California where he was trying to work out ideas mm. and he was, he was doing, you know, all of these different variations on lines of lyrics one after another, not backing up and redoing it, not hitting the delete key and it, just letting it flow. And there's something to that. And it's, it's kind of the way I'm learning to approach the paintings. It's, it's why, and, and it happened last year when I started that, that series where I was working on, you know, 12 paintings at a time, instead of just the one where I can bounce around and just let the ideas work instead of going, well, it doesn't work here. So I guess I'm done for the day and I'll come down tomorrow and see if I can solve this problem. It's such a great analogy. I hadn't thought about that. It is. It's so, so it's, either make or edit, but don't try, do both. Don't try, don't try. I mean, that, that one thing from that writing class saved me hours and hours of wasted time while I was writing the book. It's fantastic advice. And it was something I was intuitively picking up already, but I hadn't conceptualized it yet. I was, I was trying to split the days up between those two things, but hadn't worked out why. And the minute you said, it, I'm like, oh yeah, those days where I try and do both in mm-hmm. one session are a mess because while I edit, I forget the thing yeah. I was writing. And I forget hundred percent do, do one or the other. Don't do both at the same time. And I think to your point, I think it applies to photography. I think it applies to sculpture. I think it applies yeah. to all sorts of creative endeavors where just get the ideas out, you know? And again, we, we, we beat Magnum contact sheets to death, but I think there's such value in there because you can see a photographer working through something. You can see them moving on from line to line to line, working composition, working, working depth of field, working exposure, whatever it might be, rather than thinking it through, if that makes sense. It just seems like there's, there's an intuition at work there, not a, a critical sort of analytical approach. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm misreading it. No, you're right. I mean, honestly, the, it's the reason I've resisted for, forever um, shooting tethered in studio, mm. because I feel when you when you're plugged into a computer that's flashing up every single image big that you've just taken, you want to stop and be looking and going, oh, just tweak that exposure, let's see what it's going to do. Instead of just just get your exposure right. Don't look at the screen. Uh, don't tether. Don't even look at the little screen on the back of the camera. Just shoot through that session and interact with your subject. Yeah. Collect yeah. and then edit later. And I've, it's like split. I think I've tethered maybe two or three times in my career ever, and I didn't like it. I felt it was a distraction to me shooting and communicating with a with a with a subject mm-hmm. and collecting. And I think maybe that's that collect. Maybe that's that making versus editing yeah. again. Yeah, I think maybe it is. Yeah. Um, there, Hugh from uh, from the Smithsonian told me a, a terrific story about about Avedon. Uh, he worked with, with Avedon's studio and estate and went up and, and, you know, spoke to a lot of his assistants and, and people that worked directly with him. And one of the stories that, that he was told was how even when Avedon was shooting eight by 10, he would have lines of assistants swapping out sheets of film while he was just interacting with the subject and hitting the plunger. Boom, boom, boom. 
boom. So he didn't, he didn't even have to be bothered with, with reloading the camera. He could stay engaged with his subject and, and keep sort of in that flow state. And I just, I thought even at that level, that that was such a terrific sort of image in my mind of, of trying to imagine that happening, you know, and being so connected and not have to, to pause, uh, to go, okay, well, you, you just hold that for a second. Hold that. Let me just, let me just do this and break that cycle. If you, if you want to see a great example of that on camera is the, I can't remember the Netflix series name, but with Platon mm, mm-hmm. um, shooting um, in his studio, exactly the same thing. He's got, he's got uh, assistants loading film for him and just passing him camera, camera, camera. And he's just shooting and talking to his subject um, and he's just reaching behind him to grab the next camera and Karen's shooting. He's not even mm. looking um, just so he can keep eye contact with the subject. What was that? What was that series called? I don't remember now. Art of design. Something about design. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Um, was it one yeah, of it was, the, the Gary really, Hutzwit, really the, the guy that did objectified? Wasn't that, was it? I'm going to, I'm going to look it up quick yeah, while I'm ahead. talking to you because it, I wonder it, it if it's really still was, on Netflix. It really was good. Uh, yeah, because the, um, the, the the example they sort of show you on uh, on the actual um, show was um, him shooting Colin Powell. Oh, it's called Abstract. That's the name oh, of the right. Okay. Okay. I do remember that one. Abstract, the art of design. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. an episode with uh, with Platon, like a photography episode. And watch him shoot in studio. He shoots film, remember? So there's a lot to fiddle with if you want to in terms of changing film around and checking exposure with meter readings and whatever else because you need a light meter. Like he just sets it up beforehand and he's got uh, cameras. He's passing to his assistant. They load the film and pass it back to him so he can talk in this case to Colin Powell um, and just have a good conversation with him and and, uh, and he's engaged in that conversation that's where he is that's where his headspace is you can tell and the photography is very very secondary because he's collecting he's not editing yet he's not fussing he's not fiddling he's just making he's trying to get the best out of his subject he possibly can it's a really good example of what you're talking about with Avedon I love that I'll have to go back and rewatch it because I do remember that series now that you now that you mention it it's really really good yeah that's really good. So yeah, and I mean that that whole thing with categorizing is like labeling and like working out what to even call what you do. Because I know you've gone through, you know, you use paint, but you don't feel that you're a painter. You're more of a, a designer who uses paint. And and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. That sounds right from what I look at. And and I think, but I think sometimes when we do that, we use that to kind of downplay what we do. Um, and you know, it's in the same way that people say, well, what you're doing, Sean is not street photography, even though it's on the streets. I'm like, that's okay. It's, you're not going to, you're not going to minimize what I'm doing because of that. It just, it is whatever you want to label it. Mm -hmm. And the the example I used with you earlier was, you know, I've seen, you did that wonderful interview with Brooke Shaden recently. Um, and I've seen a lot of people disparage her work going, well, yeah, it's fine, but it's not photography. It's, it's digital art as if that's less. Right. And when you look at her work, you can like, do you know how much skill that takes? It takes far more than you running around, like taking candid shots on the street in, in, in aperture priority mode. Right. This is like. And then making clarity like, adjustments in Lightroom. <laughs> exactly. This takes a ton more effort. So if you want to call it digital art, that's fine. But don't you dare do it with a condescending sneer on your face right. because she is an actual artist with what she's doing and it's amazing stuff. And, and, I find too many people use those labels and then we, we take those labels on ourselves and then it kind of, and use them to go, yeah, but I'm not really the genuine article because I don't fit in X, Y, or Z box. And then it sours that first half, that making part. 
and it might even it might even prevent us from from letting come out what should come out and we tailor that to fit into the box on the back end yeah where where we're presenting it yeah. to the world in which case we're not saying what we want to say the way we want to say it it, it takes a bit of self-confidence to go i don't yeah okay whatever you want to call it that's cool but i'm going to do it exactly the way i want to do it yeah. that's yeah. that's fine with everybody and then you plow on and i'll work out and show it to you when i'm done that that feels like a there's a much better chance of you coming out with exactly what you wanted I think so. And, and can I tell you something about Brooke when she's, when she's making her work and unless she's doing, you know, like a creative live or a workshop or something like that, where she is engaged with an audience, she is absolutely not thinking about an audience. Yeah. She is thinking yep. about expression, expression and, and, and getting across a story and, and presenting an idea what an audience thinks or how they're going to respond when she is in the thick of making is absolutely not on her mind. 100%. It takes courage, I think, doesn't it? To, to mm-hmm. make something and not, and not be too concerned with, will people get this or take it the right way? It takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I think it does. And I think the best, the best people who make things have to have that courage. Yeah. I'm working on it. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll get there for a while. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I, I, I hope this doesn't sound patronizing. Like, like since I've known you, you've made more and more things. And I think you're more, it sounds when I talk to you that you're getting more and more comfortable and you believe in yourself a lot more every day. And that to me is somebody who, who, who wants to cheerlead everything that you do is super exciting as your friend to see you actually going, I might have something to offer here. Mm. And if I just stick to it and do it the way I believe it needs to be done, I think I'm going to find homes for this in the world. And like, I mean, that is, that's most of the battle, isn't it? Like as people who make things, that's most of the battle is to just find, find the courage and the juice to make the stuff we believe in. And then afterwards we'll work out how to present it to the world. And even if, even if no one gets it, or even if we don't find that place, at least we made the thing that we absolutely believe needed to be made by us. And that's amazing. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sedora's Everything in your favorite podcast app to get Deep Natter along with Process Driven and everything else I release all in one feed. If you'd like to support the show and help others find it, leave a review or a rating wherever you listen and share it on social media. And as a reminder, next week will be the last live episode of Deep Natter. Sean and I will continue to record and release the show, but we'll no longer be doing them live on Clubhouse. If you've got questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K on his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Be sure to check out his book, The Meaning in the Making, which is out now. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sadoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S or on my website at jeffreysadoris.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you spending some time with us, and we hope you'll come back for the next one.